So glad that you, you are all here this morning, um, and I have the privilege to share the Word of God with you. Uh, go ahead and tell your neighbor, I've got my listening ears on. Oh, some, some of you didn't tell your neighbor that. I've got my listening ears on. Do you have yours? Oh, some of you are just yelling in each other's ears now. Make sure you're listening. I, I pray you're listening today because today I have a very, 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 absolutely very, 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 very important word to share with you. See, I got everybody's attention now. Now everybody's listening. Today we're going to be uh, continuing in the book of Nehemiah. We've been on a series entitled, Let's Build Something Big. Just to quickly recap, over the last couple of weeks, we learned a couple of things. We learned that you were created for more. Say that with me. I was created for more. How many of you know where you are is not the last stop? Some of you need to, some of you need to hear that. Some of you, you've been through some challenges and what you've heard is, this is the last stop. This is it for me. This is my lot in life. That is not true. Because God is continually at work in our lives. Until the day of Jesus Christ, we're still in process. And so that's exciting news to know that you were created for more. <clears throat> the Bible puts it this way. It says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered the hearts of men. What God has in store for those that, he, that love him. Listen, God has more for you. So you were created for more. And one of the things that we were looking at in that first week is that God has called you for something big. Hey, it's called your life, by the way. Your life is a big deal. Some of you need to refocus and uh, recalculate, so to speak, like that dumb machine that you have in your car that tells you, recalculating, recalculating recalculating and you need to listen to what the word is saying your life is meant for more your life is a big deal we learned that uh, God has the plan for our lives but it's up to us to put the pieces together you must put the pieces together so here's how it works in God's grand scheme of things your success is God's part of the building process that's his part for you to succeed but your part in mine is to put the pieces together and start building it. How many of you know that the word tells us that we are joint heirs, that we're co-laborers with God? And so there is a building project going on. It's called your life. It's called the purpose, the destiny that God has for you. And God intends for you to succeed. That's why the Bible says if God is for you, who can be against you? You know what that's literally saying? It's saying, how can you fail? You can't. And so God's part is your, is your success. Your part is to take the pieces and put them together. And then last week we learned that it's better when we build it together. How many of you know you were not created to exist in a bubble? You were not created to mosey on in life. You, you're for, and no more. You were created for more, but that includes more people. That includes the body of Christ. That includes people that will cross your path. And we need to open our eyes and realize that while God calls us to actively build our lives, it entails what he is also trying to build in others through our lives. So it's not just about you. It's not just about me. It's about others. God is doing something amazing in your life. And so today we're going to be picking up 
in the last couple of chapters of the book of Nehemiah. And, you know, last week when we, when we, when we were ending, it kind of seemed like we had gotten to the climax of this story, of this time in the history of the people of God. The wall was built in 52 days, and it would seem like the mission is accomplished. But today, I pray that you open your eyes and your heart and your ears, and you hear, you listen to the important next step that was not only necessary for them, but for us, because God is building something big through you, and he's called you to partner with him. But as we'll see today, there's a next step. Just because you've arrived at a certain point in your life, just because you're walking in the goodness of God, just because you're doing what God has called you to, does not mean that there isn't more. There's more. And so today, we're brought to the climax point in the story of Nehemiah as it points us to the very thing that would sustain the work that God was bringing forth through his people and in them. So as we learned last week, 52 days, the walls built, but the plan was bigger than the walls. When you read the book of Nehemiah in the beginning, it almost seems like this is all about a wall. This is all about Jerusalem. And then you start reading, and as you're reading, what you begin to see is, wait, the people of Israel are returning. And so it would seem it's about the wall and the people returning. But what we saw last week is that the plan was bigger than the walls. It was about God, what God wanted to do in his people and in their relationship unto themselves. It was about building the people. It was about restoring their love for God and each other. As we look through this story, what we saw was that the people of Israel had gotten to a place where, uh, Nehemiah put it, is they were in trouble. But in the Hebrew, what it's actually saying is that they were living in complete wickedness. They were completely separate. They were apart. They were disjointed. They were, they, they, they were each was to his own, and they had neglected the things of God, and they were living in rubble, and here's the big problem with that. They were okay with it. It was normal and acceptable to them. And then Nehemiah shows up, and he begins to tell them about how God had anointed him, God had blessed him, and God had favored him, and God's uh, hand of favor was upon him, and he had come, and it was time to build the wall, and the people rally, and, and all the people start to build, but as they're building, what, they began, what we began to see is that while they were building the wall, there came a point where they were separated. But then they began to come together, Nehemiah drew them close, and they began to build each other. And lastly, what we saw is that it was about revealing to the world all the nations that were around them who were mocking them, who were saying, are they really going to build the walls again? Is Jerusalem really going to be reestablished? How can you do it? And they mocked them and they discouraged them. So what we saw was that as they were building this wall, when it was built, that it was revealing to the world that God was real and that he was still the God of Israel. He was still the God that brought them, that delivered them out of the hand of Egypt. And he was still the God that would deliver them once again. And so all this is going on. And so it took stones, it took mortar, it took wood, it took tools, it took vision, and it took people to build these walls and to build the people. But to sustain what God was really doing, 
it would take the truth of God's word for it to remain standing. Listen closely, ladies and gentlemen. Simple idea, but we have to get this. That God has called you and I to build something big, but it will take truth. It will take his truth for it to stand. I want to say that again. God has called you to great things in life. And you might be in that, in that lane already. You might be walking in what God has called you. You might be the mother that God has called you to be for this season. You might be the husband that God is calling to you. You might be in ministry. You might be serving people. You might be working in a community. You might be serving in the local body. You may be doing those things. But listen closely, ladies and gentlemen. It takes the word of God for it to stand. It takes the word of God for it to stand. Anything that you and I build in life, in partnership with God, we can build it. But unless we remain rooted to the word of God, it will not stand. It will not stand. And so everything that God has done, is doing, and will do in your life is built and it is sustained by the truth that his word reveals. How many of you were super excited when you met Jesus? When you accepted Jesus? Praise God. You were excited about that. But I bet you bottom dollar this, that you've had days where you felt really low after that. And the one thing that lifted you back up, the one thing that put you back on track, the one thing that restored you, that lifted you, that built you, that, that, that rejuvenated you, it was a revelation from God's word. It's the word of God that sustained us. Let me show you that from scripture. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says this. It says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. I want to just point something out to you for a minute. That word frame there in the original language means to fit. It means to make sound. It means to complete. It means to strengthen. It means to perfect. Listen to what else it means. It depicts making one what he ought to be. And so get this. God has orchestrated your life. The Bible says that he's predestined you unto good works. He says that he's formed you intricately, right? He's woven you in such a manner. He calls you a masterpiece. He has an amazing life for you. Well, what about the sovereignty of God, uh, Pastor Jose? Isn't God ultimately the one that's in control? You know, what the, you, you know what Scripture reveals about the sovereignty of God? That God is sovereign to his word. God is sovereign to his word. The hang-ups, the hiccups, and everything in between that we encounter, that's not God's, that, that's not God's plan. That's our, that's our mess-ups. That reality is we live in a fallen world, and we have people that sometimes affect good people, even Christians. And so all these things happen, but God, God, the Bible says, that he frames everything by his word. Listen closely. He makes everything fit together by his word. 
He makes everything sound in your life. Those areas that hurt, those areas where confusion has reigned in your life, where, where you have a, a lack of peace, where anxiety uh, um, breeds in your life, all those things, God completes you there by his word. He brings soundness there by his word. When you're weakened, when you're lacking, when you feel down and out, the Bible says that he framed everything by his word. He strengthens you by his word. He perfects you by his word. And he makes you everything that you ought to be. Everything that you are in Christ. He brings it to pass by his word. By his word. All by his word. That should encourage us to open our eyes to see the importance the value, the significance of God's word in our lives. See, God has called you to build something big in partnership with him. It's called your life and his plan for you. But for it to stand, it takes more than brick and mortar. It takes more than feel-good messages. It takes more than a, a momentary uh, uh, time where you kind of just pump, 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 pump yourself up. It takes more than that. It takes more than all that. It takes more than self-help books. It takes more than uh, an audio uh, uh, message or something that we stream or a video we watch. It takes a personal, dedicated, intimate, committed relationship with his word. It takes that. It takes that truth that God's word reveals. You know, sometimes I'm guilty of this. I can just read the word, and I'll read it like a book. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I'll read it like a book where I'm just kind of reading and just following the words, not realizing sometimes that the emphasis of the word of God is the truth that it bears out. What would your life and mine look like? What impact could the word of God have in our lives if we read it with the understanding that there's truth in it for us? Truth that sets us free. Truth that reveals and, and, and clarifies areas of darkness that brings solutions where we can't find any on our own. The Word of God. And so that's where we find Nehemiah and the people of God as we pick up where we left off. I want you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 18. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 18. So remember, the walls are built. The walls are built now. They've hung the gates. It seems like mission's accomplished. But Nehemiah and the high priest Ezra gather the people there. And watch what happens. It says in verse 18, Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So let me give you an idea of what's going on here. Ezra begins to read the word to them daily. And all of a sudden, the people begin to realize, wait, there are certain things that we didn't know we were supposed to do. They begin to realize that there were various moments where they were to celebrate and worship God for the many things that he had done. It was a remembrance unto them. And so basically what's happening is they begin to get a hold of the word of God. And Ezra, the Bible tells us, 
day after day, read the word to them, and he taught them. So why is that? See, the people had heard of God. They had heard of God. Every last one of them, they had heard of God. And they were even looking to know God. But the one thing that they lacked was the truth of God internalized in their own lives for themselves. They had heard of God. They had heard what Ezra was telling them. But they hadn't internalized it. And so day in and day out, Nehemiah and Ezra begin to gather the people and they begin to teach them the word. Teach them the word. Teach them the word. I'll tell you why. It reminds me of a story I once read, um, an analogy. It says, the cartoon character Popeye is famous for eating spinach. How many of you remember that? I'm Popeye the sailor man. I forgot the rest of the song. But anyway, um, my mother used to tell me when I was, when I was a kid, Tienes que comerte tu espinaca como Popeye para que sea fuerte. You got to eat your spinach like Popeye so you can be a big boy, you can be strong, right? Um, and what's interesting is that the cartoon character of Popeye, which is famous for eating spinach, right? Whenever he would break open a can of spinach and eat it, he gained enormous strength, right? According to the cartoon. But here's what many people didn't realize then and many people still don't know today that Popeye was used, it was employed by the U.S. government during World War II to promote the idea of eating spinach. And I'll tell you why. Because meat was a rarity during those days. During that war, meat was scarce. Men were at war, and women, for the most part, were left to fend for the families, to tend to them. And so uh, it was used to promote the idea of eating spinach, but it was based upon a lie. Meat was a rarity during war, but spinach appeared to be a great substitute. It was all based on the 1890s German scientist report that had shown that spinach contained the same amount of iron as meat. And iron, of course, is one of the essential vitamins to building strength. But they had the facts all wrong. See, the German researchers did prove that spinach contained iron. But when they wrote down their results, they put the decimal point in the wrong place. They overestimated the amount of iron and spinach by a factor of over 10 times. And unfortunately, the correction didn't get across the ocean until after World War II. So think about this. How easily false ideas can quickly become accepted truth. And this is where the people of Israel were. They had to completely relearn, reprogram, renew their understanding of God. They knew what they knew was false. They had believed a lie. And so it's not uncommon for Christians today, to be quite honest, to, be, uh, to give unquestionable status to beliefs that may in fact have questionable origins. Listen, the reason why Nehemiah and Ezra, the high priest, took the time to teach the people God's word was because God's word was the only thing that could sustain what God was building in them throughout this time. It was the only thing. Hey, have you ever stopped to think 
about what God's doing in your life right now. Maybe he's restoring your marriage. Maybe he's um, clarifying your vision. Um, you're trying to figure out your direction in life. Maybe you're in school. Maybe, maybe you're on a different career path now. Maybe you're between careers or, or reinventing yourself. Whatever it is, I want you to keep this in mind, that in the midst of whatever transition, whatever stage, age, place you are in life, the only thing that can guide you to that next step and keep you there until you get to your next one is only God's word. It's only God's word. Let's look at the words of Jesus, which are very important in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Starts off, and this is Jesus speaking, and I want to hone in real quick on verse 24. Watch what it says. Anyone. Is there an anyone in the house today? Is there an anyone? Okay, I got one anyone. I got two. I got three anyones. I got four. Can I get a five? Can I get a six? Seven, eight. I got a nine. Can I get a ten? I only got ten anyones here? Come on. There's a bu- Okay, I see another anyone. Okay, I see another. All right, there's a bunch of anyones here. Listen, anyone who listens to my teaching. He's not talking about sitting in a service on a Sunday, by the way. Anyone who listens, who pays close attention, who adheres to, who allows entrance to my teaching and follows it, watch what it says, is wise. Like a person who builds a house upon a solid rock. You know that word wise there in the original language? It speaks of one who knows what's best for them. One who recognizes how great a thing is in their life. In other words, they're clear on this benefits me and because it benefits me, I'm going after that. And so Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. And then he gives a great example. He says he's like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. He's talking about a solid foundation. He says, though the rains come in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. You know, bedrock is huge. It goes down real, real, real deep. Verse 26, he says, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You know, the foundation of a house tells you how big that house can get. Let me say that again because I want you to visualize this. The foundation of a house tells you how big a house you can build. You can't put a big house on a small or or faulty foundation. You can't do it. Why? Because it'll collapse every time. And the same is true for our lives, ladies and gentlemen. You can't become what God wants you to be on a faulty foundation or on a small one. You can't expand the horizons for new possibilities in your life if you don't expand the size of your foundation. It reminds me um, 
of a young lady who happens to be here, and, and this just actually came to my mind, uh, probably about a year, two years back. Um, she was in Florida. She was in school. And um, she reached out to me about something she was doing or, or a step that she was taking. And I remember something that I said to her. I said to her, whatever you do, make sure that before you do it, you get a word directly from God. Get a word directly from God. Well, she did that. She knew exactly what God called her to. And you know what? She made some changes in her life. But here, to, here she is today, still standing, still firm in her faith, still firm in the things of God, still firm with a complete confidence that she's called, she's anointed, she's appointed, all because of the word of God. Listen, we need a word from God. And thank God that he's given us his word and he's given us his Holy Spirit who points us to truth always. And so if you want to expand your horizons, if you want to see in a greater measure, how about trying to expand your foundation? How about expanding the entrance of God's word into your life? How about allowing the word of God to solidify your stance to a greater measure? You want a bigger you want a bigger vision? You want, a big, you want bigger, greater clarity to what God is calling you to? Enlarge your foundation. Enlarge it. You'll build bigger. You'll discover greater things. You'll go farther, farther in life. Like the people of Israel up until the building of the wall, we all followed some or all of their options, the ones that they tried upon which to build their foundation prior to to a revelation from God's word. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In this day and age, there are some people that build upon popular culture. The people of Israel, they were notorious for following popular culture. As a matter of fact, they picked, they demanded from God. Before they had a king, they, followed, they, they heard directly from God. And then they get the bright idea and they say, we don't want to hear from God. Give us a king like all the other nations around us. And they got Saul. And they ended up in trouble. They ended up in trouble. And so basing your life on popular culture is like building a house on a constantly moving foundation. Why? Because popular culture is always changing. One day you're in, the next day you're out. One day it's hot, the next day it's not. You can't base it upon popular culture because it won't stand. Tradition. The people of Israel had gone so far off base at one point that it literally established traditions that God never intended for them to follow. Check this out. Moses goes up to the mountain to talk to God to get a word from them. While they're up there, his brother Aaron says, Hey guys, I got a bright idea. We're going to establish a new pattern of worship. I'm going to build you, I've built this golden calf, and guess what we're going to do? This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Let's worship it. And it became the hot thing to do. It became their tradition. And all of a sudden, Moses comes down, and Moses goes, what is this? What are you doing? See, they knew no better because they followed after the traditions of men. 
Jesus put it this way in Mark 7, 13. He says, thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. The traditions of men will lead us to faulty places. We can't base our foundation on traditions because they have no lasting power. While it can be carried on, it does not have the power to carry out what God has for your life. Another thing that many people build their lives on in this day and age, reason. Look, we all have the ability to reason. Every last one of us. It's God-given. And we need to use it. Some of us, we really need to use it. Right? Nothing wrong with that. But our reason is not infallible. Listen to what I'm saying. The Israelites commonly deferred to their own ideas and plans only to find themselves continually in error. All because of an idea, man's reason. Scripture tells us that there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. We don't need man-made ideas. We need God ideas, right? And then lastly, another foundation that people base their lives on, their emotions. Some people build their lives on feelings. If it feels right, I'm doing it. If it feels right, it must be right. But feelings lie oftentimes because they tend to exclude truth. If you're following feelings, just understand this. You're going to struggle following truth. Because feelings are real to you. And so the only thing, uh, uh, so as we've seen in their example, it didn't work to build their lives on popular culture and it won't work for us. It didn't work for them to follow traditions and it won't work for us. It didn't follow to follow, to, to build upon reason or emotion. And it won't work for us. And so in Nehemiah chapter 9, let's, uh, let's go there. Nehemiah chapter 9, we're going to uh, see, uh, we're, we're going to begin to see uh, what happens uh, after the people are taught the word of God. So let's pick up at verse 5 in Nehemiah chapter 9. It says, and the Levites, Jeshua, Kadamai, so it's, it's talking about these Jewish leaders, right? Um, they gathered the people, and here's what they said. They said, stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Watch what goes on to happen. It says, blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, um, uh, I'm sorry, you made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth, and all that is on it, the seas, and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven of, uh, worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and who brought, out, who brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans um, and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you and you made a covenant with him to give uh, to his descendants the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Girgashites. You've kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land. For you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. 
You made a name for yourself which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground, but you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into the mighty waters. By day you led them with the pillar of cloud, and by night with the pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right, and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws uh, through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possessions for the land you had sworn and uh, with lifted hand to give them. And so what's happening here? That after the people were taught the word of God, they understood the power of God's word unto them and how it would sustain them. They shift in their thinking and they realize, you brought us out. You parted the Red Sea. You delivered us from all our enemies. You brought us into a good land. You gave us a land flowing with milk and honey. You blessed us. You gave us cities that we didn't build. You, you, you caused our enemies to turn over unto us all their riches. All this you did. All this you did. But verse 7 alludes to how it all started. In verse 7, it refers to Abram. And in Genesis chapter 12, we're not going to turn there just yet, but in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verses 1 through 3, it tells us that God calls this guy Abram, a pagan, and he says to him, leave your father's house, leave this land, and go to a land that I'm sending you to. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless all nations through you. And Genesis 12, 4 tells us how it all started. It says, so Abram went as the Lord told him. Listen closely. It all started with a word from God. People tend to look at, they were delivered from the Egyptians, God parted the Red Sea, uh, Moses extended his staff, the people held his hands, and the people conquered, and they went into all, no, but what we fail to realize is this, everything that God did in their lives started with one man who held on to a word from God. Man, that's powerful. When your foundation is the word of God, you'll build what God's word says is possible. Some of you, you've gotten a word from God. And sometimes you might be moved by what you feel. But bet your bottom dollar this, that if God's word says it, and God has revealed it to you, and it's your promise, understand this, that what God's word has said to you will come to pass. It is possible. I don't care how impossible it looks. I don't care how impossible it feels. I don't care what your bank account looks like. I don't care what people tell you. I don't care what your level of education is. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what you're feeling right now, what you're going through right now. God's word makes the impossible possible. It will come to pass. It will. This was important for them and it's important, it's important for us also. 
It's important for us. We must get it. And so let's look at verses 19 through 25 as we're wrapping up here. Verse 19. It says, Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. Let me just pause right there. What we're reading here is the response. What the people understand as a result of the word that's been taught to them. And so it says, Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. Listen closely. Where once they were okay living in rubble and they were far from God, now they see God as compassionate. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths. And you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. Isn't it interesting that when you read that in the book of Exodus, while God is doing all this, from the people's perspective, what we saw was them complaining. Complain, complain, complain. Here are the people of God in this time looking back and instead of seeing reason to complain, here's what they're saying. God, you provided manna for them. You were with them the whole time. God, their clothes did not wear out. Meanwhile, these people are wearing clothes. They're wearing the same shoes for 40 years. Their shoes are still good. They're brand new and they're complaining. Verse 22 says, you gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. You took over the country of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. Their children went in and took possession of the land. You went in and took, I'm sorry, you subdued before them the Canaanites who lived in the land. You gave the Canaanites into their hands along with their kings and and the peoples of the land to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things. Wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. Listen, after all that the people were taught from the word, you know what they understood? That God was good and faithful unto them. Why is that important? Why is that important? Because if you and I are not convinced that God loves us, that God is good, and that God is faithful to his word, guess what we'll never do? We'll never look to his word, we'll never trust his word, and we'll never receive what his word promises us. That's a big point there. Psalm 27, 13, David says this, I remain confident of this. You know why he says, I remain confident of this? Read the verses before that. He's surrounded by his enemies. And he says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord 
in the land of the living. Whoa. Wow. He's surrounded and it looks like he's dead, like he's a goner. He says, I'm confident of this. God, you're still good. God, you're still for me. And God, I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I will see your goodness in the land of the living. God, it's not my last day. It's my best day because you're still with me. You're still for me and you're still bringing me through. Listen, when your foundation is the word of God, you'll grow in your confidence of God. But watch this. You'll learn to expect his best. I'll tell you why that's important. Because for some of us, we still expect the worst. We still expect to struggle. We still expect that somehow we're not going to make it. And what that's revealing and what that, 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 that shows us personally, individually is this. That we have yet to be fully confident in God's goodness. And that God loves us. And that his word is true. You know, I wish that I could tell you that the book of Nehemiah ends with the people of God standing stronger than ever over the long haul. But it doesn't. It's a sad ending. It's a sad ending. Because what you see at the very end of Nehemiah chapter 12 is that Nehemiah, after having left them and established everything, he goes back and they reverted. They're, they're back in cahoots with their enemies. They're allowing people into the temple that shouldn't be there. They're doing all these things again and again and again and they're Messing up. And why is, why is it a good thing to end there in the book of Nehemiah for us today? Because it points to us the truth, to, to, to a very important truth. That we can't neglect the truth of God's word. Without it, whatever we start building won't stand. It will not stand. Romans 16.25 says this. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. I'm going to just stop right there. Let me give you some context for this as we're closing out today. Paul is writing to the people of Rome. And he's asserting, he's establishing something to them. He's establishing the power of God's word to them. And watch what he says. He says that God is able to establish you. But here's what I love about Paul's words there when he, he's writing to the Romans. He personalizes the truth that he's received. He doesn't say God's word. He says my gospel. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying the word that God has given me is mine. It is mine. It's all mine. And from what God has given me and the revelation that I have, I'm sharing with you my gospel. Let me pause right there and challenge you. Do you view the word of God as personal and direct in that way to you? 
When you read where it says, I remain confident in this, that I will see uh, the goodness of God, of the Lord in the land of the do you think of David or do you think of yourself there? Come on now. Listen, when you personalize the word of God in that way, when you embrace the word of God that way, then and only then do you discover the establishing power of God's word in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, you are called to build something big. It's called your life. It's called the purposes and the plans that God has for you. But for it to stand, it takes the word of God. Amen? And so some of you are living here and you're going to go, good word. Let me, let me encourage you to go a step further. Get personal. Get close and personal with the word of God. Get intimate with it. I know sometimes you don't understand what you're reading. I would encourage you to do this. Talk to God about that. That's what I would do. God, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. And I would ask people. But you know, people are like opinions, you know. They have opinions and everybody's got opinions and different opinions. I encourage you, take that time to get intimate. Say, Holy Spirit, you're the one that leads me into all truth. You're the one that shows me things to come. Help me see in your word. Help me understand your word. Help me to, to, to see the revelation of the truth and embrace it. When you do that, it becomes, it goes from being the word of God to being your gospel.